You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Are there any keen fishermen here? Yeah, a few. Any exciting fisherman story you can share with us to make us jealous of your fishing skills? No, you're not good fishermen? Oh, fish. <laughs> we have one, uh, fish and chipperman, so that's close. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. You can turn, turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to hear a little bit about some fishermen. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is our final sermon in the series on One with Authority. And so this is called One with Authority Through Us. Jesus is one with authority through us. When you become a follower of Jesus... The, the, the authority Jesus moves into your life, doesn't he? Uh, as you, you bow your knee to his authority over and in you, over the, the truth, over the way you think, over your, your sin, the things you do, the, 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 your brokenness, over your sickness, over, over everything in your life, his authority will express itself through you to others. So his authority is not just for you, it's through you to others. And this idea, I think, is, is summed up in this phrase, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He says, I will, I will get you to fish for people. Fish for people. What, what do you think that means, fishing for people? Fishing for people. I, I think of this, this, you know, gathering together fish. You've got that image of, of a big net in the ocean, gathering together fish, scooping them out of that, that deep, dark, chaotic ocean or lake and, and, and scooping them out and bringing them up into the light. It's got an image of harvest, hasn't it? Productivity, fruitfulness. And so I think this image of being a fisher of men is, is an image of us gathering people together, drawing them out of the, the deep, dark kingdom of darkness and bringing them into God's kingdom. It's a harvest of people, isn't it? And, and this is a guarantee. This is a guarantee to all who say yes to following Jesus. Jesus says to you, I will make you fishers of men. Every one of you. I will give you my authority to do what I'm doing. On my behalf, like I do it. I, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big statement right there. I will give you my authority to do what I'm doing on my behalf. I will work through you. You see, in chapter 3, if you, if we won't read it, but if you were to look in chapter 3, he appoints the disciples. And he, he says, go out, preach. I give you authority to drive out demons. And in chapter 6, you see the disciples sent out, preaching about the forgiveness of sins, freeing people from evil spirits, healing people who are ill. They're, they're doing what Jesus was doing, aren't they? One plus two equals three, right? 
One plus two equals three. So Jesus plus you equals authority. Kind of rhymes. Did you catch that? One plus two equals three. Jesus plus you equals authority. Yeah? No, I thought it was kind of... Anyway, if you've received the authority of Jesus in your life, if you have, have bowed your knee, if you've confessed with your tongue that he is Lord, he says, I will make you a fisher of men. He will heal people through you. He will heal people through you. He will use you to free people from evil. He will use you to speak truth and righteousness into this world. And doesn't this world need it? Doesn't this world need it? He will use you to talk about Jesus. And, and you will see people receive forgiveness from him. You will see people turn back to God. Does that sound a bit exciting? Now... I was tempted to actually just stop the sermon here and send everyone out to have a go. I was like, it's kind of the natural outworking of this really, isn't it? Like, take your coat, leave your handbag and wallet on the seat and, and just head out. See who you can find, see what happens, come back in an hour and tell us what, what, how you got on. It's so tempting to do that. Um, but it's cold, isn't it? So, you know... Yeah, it's definitely too cold. <laughs> but I think your objections would possibly... I know there'd be a few of you that'd be eager beavers and you'd be running, wouldn't you? You'd just be... Whew, those doors would be left flapping <laughs> and you'd be gone. But there'd be a few people, I suspect, who'd have a couple of objections. And your objections might be something like this. How can Jesus work through me? Will Jesus work through me? And heck, do I even want Jesus to work with, through me? Because it sounds weird and scary. And I'm thinking there's a few people sitting in the it's weird and scary boat, possibly. I, I, I was reflecting on this and I thought about myself. You know, often the things that, that God calls us to do in the future, they sound weird and scary at the start, don't they? Way back when I was in my early 20s, I can remember sitting in church often thinking, ugh sermons so boring such a waste of time preaching why why do we even do it in churches <laughs> a few years later god's got me up preaching loving it i'm like okay okay lord these sermons they're all right i don't mind them but heck who would want to be a pastor i mean that would be nuts there's no way i would ever want to be a pastor like worst job in the world Anyway, fast forward a few years and I've got this burning desire to be a pastor and that's actually not so bad. And I was like, all right, well, I'll be a pastor, but <laughs> there's no way I'm ever planting a church. Like, that's the bits. I draw the line there. Anyway, so here I am uh, preaching, pastoring and planting and, and laughing it, you know. So, so where you might be sitting today, that's weird and scary. <laughs> Oh, God will have his way. <laughs> and you will love it. That's the best thing. You will love it. It's not like you're going to be dragging your feet going, oh, God, why do I have to do this? You'll be running out the door there with the rest of them going, I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to heal people and see people turn back to Jesus because that's the truth this world needs. And it just, it'll bubble out of you. It'll bubble out of you. And... So, look, any, anything God's called me to do involving, involving people, to be honest, at times has been quite uh, strange, awkward and a little bit difficult. And, and you know, when, when I started, it was a no, I can't do this and I don't think I want to. Of course, we all uh, start there, don't we? 
Maybe, maybe you're okay with the concept of Jesus working through you. Maybe you kind of got that okay. But the actual outworking of that is, is not such a comfortable thing for you. And we get that. I get that. I think one thing that stops us living the mission Jesus has for us, that, that kind of puts a bit of a lid on the authority to minister that Jesus has placed in us, is fear. Would I be right? Fear. It's, it's the difficulties. It's the scariness of actually doing it, actually going there. And you're in good company because that's what the disciples experienced. Mark chapter 4. This is going to be our key, our key text for today. Mark chapter 4. Starting at verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Where, where are they going? Do you know where are the disciples off to when they have that little boat trip? They're off to the other side. Um, the other side of the lake, obviously, because they're in a boat. Uh, they're going to the region of uh, Gerasenes and, and the Gentiles live there. And it's an area sort of known as the Decapolis, which is, is another word for saying the Ten Cities. And this region was well known for its idolatry and its paganism, its sexual immorality. You could kind of nickname it Sin City. Not the kind of place nice Jewish boys would go to. And so Jesus says to them, come on, fellas, we're off to Sin City. <laughs> It's kind of like him saying, let's go to Vegas, boys. Eh? Vegas is kind of the other side, isn't it? It's, it's the place where, where those, those Gentile, immoral, wild people go, but, but not you, the good Jewish people that you are. And, and, and what, what do they do when they get there, though? When they get to the other side, sounds like a, a joke. On, yeah, anyway, we won't go there. Um, when they get to the other side, what, what did they do? What did they do? What was Jesus' plan? Was he there for a holiday? He was there for ministry, wasn't he? A Jesus' plan to minister to the people there. Of course, Jesus is not here to call the righteous, is he? Who's he here to call? The sinners. And so it's no good hanging out where all the religious teachers hang out then, is it? He's off to Vegas. That's where the real ministry action is going to happen. And he's going there to free people from, from evil. He's going there to rescue them from the kingdom of darkness. And so what really famous ministry event happens when they get to the other side of the lake? Chapter 5, have a quick look in your Bible. Chapter 5, what's this, the famous ministry event that happens? He casts out the legion of demons from the man who is living in the tombs. He sends them into the pigs who run down the hill and into the lake where they drown. 
Now, this particular man that Jesus is about to minister to, he's well known, infamous in fact. He has to live outside the town amongst the graves and the dead bodies. Can't be held by chains. No one can subdue his violence. He doesn't sleep. He just wanders about naked day and night through the tombs and in the hills, yelling and screaming and crying out and moaning and cutting himself. It's kind of horror movie stuff, isn't it? Naked, cuts, blood, dead bodies, walking in and out of graves. I, I mean, you don't often see this story covered in the children's story Bibles, do you? Hmm? What are the, just incidentally, what are the Jewish laws about blood, dead bodies and non-Jewish people? Mm, unclean. How keen do you think the disciples were to go there? To be there? Not keen at all. Not keen at all. Now, I think the whole region w would know about this man and be terrified this man. Do you think? Uh, this guy was out of control. I mean, he was dangerous. They'd obviously tried to control him. They'd tried to, to chain him up, but that didn't work. So clearly he, he, he couldn't be locked up. He was scary. Can you imagine what it would be like living in an area with someone like that on the loose? He's a demon-possessed, uncontrollable madman. And Jesus evicts the demons from this man. The man is completely transformed. He puts on clothes. He's now of sound mind. He is quiet. He's still and he's composed. Mark 5 verse 18. This is, this is what happened. So he's sitting there. This man is now still. He's composed and we'll jump through to Mark chapter 5 verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This man is freed, he's restored, and what's his response? I want to follow Jesus. Jesus had even better plans though, didn't he? Rather than following him, Jesus told him, go out and tell others about me. Tell them about the mercy of the Lord. Be my witness. Go and preach to others about me. And this man goes to the Decapolis, the surrounding 10 cities, and he tells them about how Jesus has rescued him from the kingdom of darkness. This guy is freed, he's restored, and then he's sent out by Jesus as an evangelist and a missionary to his own people. That's a pretty significant ministry trip Jesus just made with his disciples, isn't it? One person, one person is ministered to, and a whole region of cities hears about Jesus. Wow. Jesus and the disciples have gone to confront the work of evil in one person's life and an entire region is freed from those forces of evil that were at work in this man. The question for us is, would you have gone with Jesus to the other side? Or would have you stayed on your own side 
with your own people who think like you and act like you. You know, the, the safe people, God's people, the ones from Galilee or Judea or Jerusalem. Jesus calls you to the other side. And uh, it, it might be the other side of, of our street. It might be the other side of the coffee shop. It might be the other side of the sports ground, the school, the work lunch table, the supermarket. It might, it might be the other side of the globe. It might be to another culture. But, but, but wherever it is and, and to whoever it is, they probably won't be like you. And it might not feel comfortable or safe or even appropriate. There's a quote from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And it sort of goes something like this. One of, one of the, the kids, one of the girls, is asking about Aslan, the lion, who, who represents Jesus. And she says, Aslan, is he safe? And the reply is, well, no, he's not safe, but he is good. He's not safe, but he is good. And, and that's Jesus, isn't it? One with authority through us. Is Jesus safe? No. Is he good? Yes. Yes. Jesus still says, there's someone on the other side who the enemy is holding captive. There is someone on the other side that needs to hear about my grace and my love and my mercy and my kindness. There's someone on the other side who needs my forgiveness. There's someone on the other side who belongs to me. The whole point that they're on the other side means that they're not where you are and that you probably won't feel safe going to them. I remember when I used to work for, for uh, docs, they were known, back, known as back then, facts now, and I would have to go to all sorts of homes and knock on the door and go inside and visit. And um, these were homes that were literally on the other side of town and, and metaphorically, they were the other side. They were the other side. Um, the people were not like me. <laughs> And these weren't places that, that, that nice Christian middle-class girls like me normally went and visited. It was hard. And the only reason I was able to stick with that job uh, that really was like walking into hell, quite frankly, and, and I think really given the, the circumstance of these homes, I think it was a little taste of hell going in there. Uh, the, the, the only reason I was able to do that is that I felt God had called me there. And I remember some days I'd walk back into the office afterwards and I'd be fighting back tears at what I'd just seen. It challenged pretty much every single part of who I was. But I believe God had put me there to minister his love and freedom in whatever capacity I could. I tell you what, on my own, I would never have chosen to be there. But when Jesus says, come with me to the other side, where else have we to go than in the boat with him? And so when, when Jesus says to you, let's, let's go to them. Come on, I've made you fishers of men. Let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. What, what will you say? What will you say? I want you to notice what happened on the way to this ministry trip. What happened on the way? Let's go back to Mark chapter 4, verse 37. So they're in the boat. A furious squall came up 
And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So there's a massive storm. Waves breaking over the edge of the boat. The boat nearly capsizes. They're in danger of drowning. There are fishermen. These, these are fishermen on board this boat. They know boats, they know storms, and they know danger when they see it. And they're petrified. So they wake Jesus. What did Jesus do? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Think back to one of the previous sermons we did on Jesus, one with authority over evil. Over evil. What, what does Jesus say when he confronts the presence of evil? Be quiet. Be quiet. This is no ordinary storm. This is no ordinary storm. If this storm was from God, Jesus wouldn't have rebuked it, would have he? This storm is demonic. This is evil stirred up, rearing its fangs, threatening and intimidating the disciples. Satan knows that Jesus is coming to bring freedom to those people who are held captive by him. And the demonic is across there on the other side, having a wonderful time reigning unchecked in this region. And now Jesus is on his way. And in an attempt to prevent him and the disciples ministering to this one man, the enemy stirs up this great storm. He induces fear. He brings chaos. And so for us, you know, don't think you'll escape the storm just because you're doing God's will. When you're on a fishing trip to the other side to free captives from evil, to bring the love of God, to bring forgiveness of sins and to take authority over sickness, do you think that the enemy might be just a little bit annoyed about that? Evil is provoked when it sees us coming. Evil will try to prevent your mission to the other side. And it does this by getting you to fear. Doubt Jesus. It does this by getting you to doubt Jesus. It does this by stirring up chaos in your life. I know this happens because I've experienced it. I've experienced it and I, I see it happening in other people's lives too. When people are, are, are stepping up and stepping out in faith, when people are getting more connected at church or in the community, when, when they're in a space to really uh, grow and mature or to start ministering to others, you know what? Stuff just seems to come up for them. Confusion and doubt and fear and just, just chaos. And it, it hinders the good work. So if you're going through a storm, either now or at some point in the future, if you're going through a storm, it might be worth stopping and thinking about where you were at just before the chaos and the fear and the doubt started. In what ways were you stepping out in faith? How were you ministering Jesus to others? Were you getting more, more connected at church? Were you starting to serve? Had you started witnessing to someone? In what ways was the authority of Jesus being expressed through you? Because if we, if we learn to recognise the storms for what they are, a work of our enemy, hopefully we're not going to turn the boat back round and head back to shore when they hit. 
What do the disciples do when this storm hits? What do they do? First, the first thing they do is they panic, don't they? They panic. They get afraid. And I, I'm not having to go at them. I'm, I'm here in their panic. I mean, the, the best I've done is a manly ferry trip from like Circular Quay to Manly Beach. And it was a calm, sunny, beautiful day. And that was, that was okay. Like I haven't done storms on boats. So I'm not, I'm not critical here. But that's the first thing they do, isn't it? They panic. They get afraid. If you perceive the influence of the demonic or of evil or, or something in your life and ministry, if you notice a storm coming, and some of us here are going to be more sensitive to, to perceive this stuff, aren't we? Some, some people have that, that, that gift of discernment, that, that they're more sensitive and they notice when there is a storm coming on the horizon. If you see this stuff being stirred up, don't freak out. <laughs> Don't freak out. Don't run around telling everyone that, that there's this wild, crazy, demonic storm coming. Okay? Don't, don't say we're all in for the worst time of our lives. There's a, um, there's a man who lives near our house. And um, the, the only time I've ever actually really met him or spoken directly with him was when he turned up on our doorstep one day quite a few years ago, with this, this crazed excitement telling me that a wild storm is on the way and we should lock up our pets. And um, he was pretty wired that afternoon. And I kind of thought he was a bit nuts, you know. And, and, but, hi, thanks, nice to meet you. Thanks for letting me know. Can you, can you imagine if a weatherman got on, on, I don't know, ABC News and he was telling us that a wild storm was about to hit the, the region and, and that he, if he was panicked and crazed with fear and if he got up there and he was shaking and yelling and saying, this is the worst storm that's ever hit Australia. It's going to do so much damage. Watch out. You're all going to suffer. People are going to die from this storm. I mean, it would instill panic, wouldn't it? A, a weatherman's job... A weatherman's job is to calmly and accurately tell us about the storm that's predicted to come and to tell us to be prepared. Okay? They say, you know, do these things with your livestock, secure your property, you know, use a calm, use a calm voice, won't they? Calm body language. They're, they're not there to stir up fear. A weatherman knows that the storm will come, the storm will go, and there are things we can do to weather the storm and we'll be okay. So if you perceive the presence of the demonic, if you notice a storm on the horizon, don't panic. Don't fear. You'll just stir up more chaos. You'll stir up more storm by doing that. You know how in storms, lightning seems to be attracted to big metal poles, isn't it? That's, that's what happens in storms. So, so I, I, I think demonic stuff and storms are attracted to fear aren't they and so if you're running around like a crazy person with fear you're kind of just acting like a bit of a receptor for more of the storm what do you do well, you warn people calmly acknowledge what's happening in your life and then you deal with it and how do you deal with it you go to Jesus don't you simple what did the disciples do after freaking out after they freaked out what did they do they called on Jesus. They went to Jesus, didn't they? The storm is no problem for Jesus. It's God who has control over the wind and the waves. It's God who silences the chaos of storms. And in that moment when Jesus stands up and, and rebukes the storm, the disciples see that Jesus is far more than a prophet or a great rabbi, far more than one that just with delegated authority. 
they realise that they are in the boat with the creator of the universe and it terrifies them. Who is this man? Who is this man? He's the one with ultimate authority. He's the Lord of the heavens and the earth and he's in their boat. This storm didn't stop Jesus, but it almost stopped the disciples. I wonder how many times do storms stop us because we don't reach out to Jesus? There have been some great, pretty big storms in my life as I reflect and particularly related to church life and ministry. And if I hadn't gone to Jesus, I would not have got to the other side. I would have got off the boat. I, I would have. I would have quit. I would have said, no more God stuff, this isn't for me. No more church stuff, this isn't for me. No more putting myself out on behalf of others, this isn't for me. I feel uncomfortable, I feel out of place, I feel scared and I feel a bit hurt. And I'm going to head back, <laughs> head back to shore where it was quiet, where life was pleasant and it's peaceful. I'm telling you, life probably will be far more peaceful back there on the shore than out there in the middle of the, the lake on the way to the other side. It, it, it will be nice back there. I'm not going to lie. But it's not where he'd have you be, is it? And you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied on the shore. You'll never be satisfied on the shore. And even if you're out there in the storm, on the boat, and, and you think, I, I want to go back because I feel like I'm going to drown, the chaos is too much, and, and you think, I just can't do it. And of course, that's, that's the point. You can't. I can't. Why do you think God allow this storm to blow up while the disciples are on a mission trip with Jesus? I mean, why do you think God allows any trial or testing come our way? Why does he allow the enemy to have a go at us? It perfects our faith. Mark 4 verse 40. Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? When things are bad, you go to Jesus, and it's only him who can help. Jesus speaks into our storm, he quietens our storm, and what happens to your faith? It grows. You learn that God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You learn that Jesus does indeed have authority over evil, over sickness, over your life. You learn that it's his power at work through you. You learn to, to, to let go of this human need we seem to have to be in control and have all the answers. And we start to trust Jesus at his word and trust that he is truly living through us and in us. You don't have to have it all together. You just have to have Jesus. And you will see him heal people through you. He will use you to free people from evil. He will use you to speak truth and righteousness into this world. He will use you to talk to people about Jesus and see people receive forgiveness from him. See people turn back to God. 
The Holy Spirit resides in you and he is your source of authority and power. Use the power and authority that you've been given to go to the other side and to see people receive forgiveness from him. See people turn back to God. You are a fisher of men. Do you believe that? You don't, you don't have to preach to crowds and multitudes like Jesus did. Like, don't, don't overcomplicate this. You don't need to be the next Billy Graham. Yeah, there might just be one. Just one person. I mean, how many, how many people did they cross the lake for? One. Just one. And what did that one person do? He went out and preached Jesus to multitudes. Mark 5.20, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Through that one person, an entire region heard about Jesus and it just takes one. Who, who is the one person Jesus would have you minister freedom to? Who is the one person he's calling you to bring his authority to? One person's illness, one person's brokenness, one person's guilt, one person's regrets, one person's mental torment, one person's captivity to lust, one person's addictions, one person's isolations. Who do you know that needs setting free, needs rescuing from the strong man? Who do you know needs releasing from their paralysis and given the freedom to get up, pick up their mat and walk? Just one, just one person. And, and maybe this storm that you're confronted with, with now is because you've already set out on your journey to that one person. Maybe you're already in the boat on the lake. Who is that person? And if you don't know who the person is, maybe ask God this week to show you. Ask God to show you who that one person is. If you're having trouble, you know, finding people who are kind of on the other side, come along to Fusion Cell Group on Friday. Open invitation. Come along because you're going to find kids there who they live on the other side. There's, there's brokenness in, in their lives. There's heartache. There's trouble. There's persecution. There's the work of the enemy in their life. They're, they're living on the other side. Come along on Friday. Come and talk to Steve afterwards. Come along to Cell Group. Come and love on those kids. Come and minister grace and freedom and another way. Come and show them another way. It's just one. Just one. It only takes one. So will you follow Jesus with me to the other side? Will you be part of the mission of this church? Will you be a people through whom the authority of Jesus is on display? Jesus is right there with you. He's in the boat. He hasn't left you alone. He's on the lake. He's in the storm. He's right there with you as you bring freedom and new life to that one person on the other side. I'm going to finish with a, a little extract from a, a book by Max Lucado. And 
he writes about a fishing trip he went on as a boy with his dad and with his best friend. And this fishing trip ended up, the, the weather turned bitterly cold and freezing and raining. And so it was impossible for them to go out fishing. And they ended up spending the week cooped up inside their camper van, bickering and fighting and arguing with one another. And he writes this in the book. I learned a hard lesson that week, not about fishing, but about people. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we were casting stones. Instead of extending helping hands, we point accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers of the lost, we become critics of the saved. Rather than helping the hurting, we hurt the helpers. The result? Church scrooges. Bah humbug spirituality. Beady eyes searching for warts on others while ignoring the warts on the nose below. Crooked fingers that bypass strengths and point out weaknesses. Split churches, poor testimonies, broken hearts, legalistic wars. And sadly, poor go unfed, confused go uncounseled, and the lost go unreached. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. But note the other side of this fish tail. When those who are called to fish, fish, they flourish. Nothing handles a case of the gripes like an afternoon service project. Nothing restores perspective better than a visit to a hospital ward. Nothing unites soldiers better than a common task. Leave soldiers inside the barracks with no time on the front line and see what happens to their attitude. The soldiers will invent things to complain about. Bunks will be too hard, food will be too cold, leadership will be too tough, company will be too stale. Yet place these same soldiers in the trench and let them duck a few bullets and what was a boring barracks will seem like a haven. The beds will feel great, the food will be almost ideal, the leadership will be courageous, the company will be exciting. When those who are called to fish, fish, they flourish. And Jesus knew that. And we're called to fish. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God Almighty, we stand in awe at who you are. We know that so many times we're, we're tempted to turn inward, we're tempted to see the storm but not see you in the boat with us. And our heart, Jesus, is that we would be a people who live up to your calling and your destiny and your purpose for that. And we believe that your purpose for us is to, to live as you lived, to, to use the authority of Jesus through us to minister to this world. And so we, here today, this afternoon, we open ourselves to that, Lord. And even though it, it feels hard and it, and it feels scary, we're open, Jesus. We're open, Jesus. Would you send us to the other side? Would you show us the one that you have us to minister to? Would you show us the one person that you have that, that needs healing and needs counselling and needs forgiveness and needs restoration? Would you show us the one? May we be a people who are indeed fishers of men. Lord, we are ready. We are willing. Come now, Holy Spirit, and just refresh us, renew us, pour your, your, your spirit of anointing out upon us, that we would be a people filled full to overflowing with the authority of Jesus. 
and we will stand upon the authority you give us, Jesus, to minister to the sick, the lame, the paralyzed, the hurting, the broken and the sinful. We thank you, Jesus, for your power that is at work in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So that, that wraps up our series on One with Authority. If you want prayer about anything from this series, come. I'd love to pray with you. If you missed any of the series, again, you can catch up online. Um, I'm thinking just for fun, we might just camp out in, in the Book of Mark for a little bit longer and, and I sort of want to just for something a bit different say if you have any passages in Mark that you think hey I'd like to hear a sermon on that text it through to me and I'll, I'll do you a sermon on it all right so we'll just have a bit of an interlude before we start a new series so if there's something in the Book of Mark like don't send me the hard ones in Revelation or something like that all right something in the Book of Mark that's that's my <laughs> yeah <laughs> Flick me a text and say, hey, how about a sermon on whatever, and I'll give it a go for you, all right? And if no one texts me, well, I don't know, maybe we just won't have a sermon, yeah? All right. Go and enjoy some fellowship, and if you want prayer, please come and receive prayer.